We read the Holy Scriptures together tonight in the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 28. And as is announced in the bulletin, our text will be the verses 23 through 29, where God compares himself in his providence over our lives to a plowman, to a farmer who plows and raises crops. We're reading now Isaiah 28, just a few words on the chapter, a few divisions to help us in our reading. Verses 1 through 8 will be a sad description of the sin of drunkenness and the sins that fall out of or come out in drunkenness, especially pride, and especially as that drunkenness stands in contrast to the purpose of verse 5, which is a gem that we should show forth the crown of God's glory in our lives. So that's verses 1 through 8, the sin of drunkenness. Verses 9 through 13 is going to be about children who are always asking God the question, do we have to? Must I? That is, those whose heart is not right with God, does not love God, but always needs to find out just how much obedience one must give, line upon line and precept upon precept. So that's verses 9 through 13. Verses 14 through 22, very involved uh, section. Basically, the idea there is that those who walk in sin and scorn God have made a covenant with death. Those verses are going to end with God's judgment falling, his strange work in which he will make a consumption upon such wicked. And then verses 23 through 29, the contrast of what God will do to his children in his providence. All right, I hope that helps. Let's read God's word. Isaiah 28, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, which is a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing shall cast down to the earth with the hand the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim shall be trodden underfoot. And the glorious beauty, beauty which is on the head of the fat valley shall be a fading flower, and as the hasty fruit before the summer, which when he that looketh upon it seeth, while it is yet in his hand, he eateth it up. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people, and for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment, and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. But they who have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine they are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit. 
and filthiness so that there is no place clean. Whom shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine than that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast? For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest, wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem, because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the water shall overflow the hiding place. And your covenant with death shall be disannulled and your agreement with hell shall not stand when the overflowing scourge shall pass through then ye shall be trodden down by it from the time that it goeth forth it shall take you for morning by morning shall it pass over by day and by night and it shall be a vexation only to understand the report for the bed is shorter than that a man can stretch himself on it, and the covering narrower than he can wrap himself in it. For the Lord shall rise up in Mount Perizim, and he shall be wroth in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Now therefore be not mockers, lest your bands be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a consumption even determined upon the whole earth. And now the words of our text tonight. Give ye ear and hear my voice. Hearken and hear my speech. Doth the plowman plow all day to sow? Doth he open and break the clods of his ground? When he hath made plain the face thereof, doth he not cast abroad the fitches and scatter the cumin and cast in the principal wheat and the appointed barley and the rye in their place? For his God doth instruct him to, to discretion and doth teach him. For the fitches are not threshed with the threshing instrument, Neither is a cart wheeled 
cartwheel turned about upon the cumin, but Fitches are beaten out with a staff and the cumin with a rod. Breadcorn is bruised because he will not ever be threshing it, nor break it with the wheel of his cart, nor bruise it with his horsemen. This also cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. May the Spirit of Jesus Christ give us understanding in his word. Perhaps there is no season of the year that so moves our hearts as the children of God as the spring season and speaks to us through the eyes of faith of the glory and the power and the faithfulness of God. The 12th grade and older young people in our church studied the Belgian Confession this past catechism season and perhaps remember Article 2 of that confession that says that to the eye of faith, that is when we put on the spectacles, the glasses of faith in Christ, the creation before us is a most elegant book wherein all creatures, great and small, are as so many characters causing us to contemplate the invisible things of God. In the spring, we are contemplating to our joy the invisible things of our God. O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hand hath made, then sings my soul how great thou art. We are surrounded in one week's time with many miracles in the spring. Trees have exploded into light shades of green. The birds, if you have your window open at night to cool your house, the birds sing at 5.30, anticipating the dawn, the tulips and the hyacinths. We go outside and feel the warmth on our back. And all of this, to faith, is shouting of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ who calls life in the creation out of death and has called us out of death to life in Christ. It speaks to us of the imperishable seed that was in the cold ground all winter and yet God summons it to life even as he has summoned us to life. It speaks to us of his faithfulness that God does not forget his creation. Will he then also not, he will not forget us either. The creation and the spring puts us in awe of God's wisdom. He is wonderful in counselor, counsel, verse 29. He is excellent in working. Our text is calling us to focus our attention upon a specific act that we see in the spring. The plowman. The plowing of land followed quickly by the harrowing or the rotera going through the smooth soil and then the planting of the seed and God willing the harvest. We are to think upon what we see on 48th Street 
for some of you on the way to church. And the rich, rich black soil plowed and prepared for the seed. We're to think of those things, perhaps in the country or a country field, being plowed and prepared for another year of planting. And the point of the passage is not only, it is, that we should see, the point of the passage is that we should see in all of these things, give us this day our daily bread, that it is God who has given the farmer, verse 26, God has instructed him to discretion, and God has taught him how to farm. We should see that God in this spring, in the opening of the fields, is preparing our daily bread. But the point of the text is more than that. The point of the text is that there is, in the plowman, a parable. A parable of your heavenly Father's work in providence in your life and in mine when he plows and breaks up the fallow ground of the heart. When the seed that he has planted, he nurtures and brings it to life. His work in providence is being taught us. We are visual learners. And so our Heavenly Father who has created all things in the creation as pictures of spiritual truths is teaching us that there is a parable in the plowman. In that plowman, he has taught you the reason for what happened in your life this past week. He has taught you that God was busy plowing, leveling, planting, threshing, working, working for a harvest. Our passage is standing in contrast to another work that God said he was doing in the last part of verse 21 and 22. This work was a work of consumption, an agricultural consumption of the earth, when in judgment God arises against the impenitent, against those who mock him, against those who stand in their prosperity and are proud and self-reliant and scorn his word and are drunken. They shall be scourged and trodden down. God has determined, the last words of verse 22, a consumption upon the whole earth of ungodly, impenitent sinners. But in contrast, God is working for those who have come to refuge in Jesus Christ. He's working the work of plowing, a work accomplished through the spade of tears and trials and death and fears. He's working through the battle in us against our sin, through chastisements. He's working when he breaks our hearts. It's explained to you in the parable of the plowman. Let's look at that parable of the plowman in his plowing and sowing, in his reaping and threshing, and in his joyful harvest. Sit up. 
Pay attention. Don't let your minds wander. Verse 23. Give ye ear and hear my voice. Hearken and hear my speech. God says he's going to talk to us and he's going to tell us something very important. He's going to explain something from the creation for us. He's going to talk about a plowman who plows his field with purpose, comparing it to himself, who sends trials and tribulations to his field and to his people with a purpose. The purpose being that the seed might be received into the soil that is being prepared by plowing and harrowing. Verse 24, doth the plowman plow all day to sow? That is, does he spend a whole day if need be, or a whole week if need be? Does he devote himself first thing to plowing before he even thinks of crops and fruit? Yes, he does. Does he, after the plowing, open and break the clods of the ground? Does he run a harrow, a disc, over that plowed ground? to break down the chunks and to make the soil even more fine? Yes, he does. Verse 25, does he make plain the face thereof? Does he level his soil? Does he concern himself with with issues of drainage and furrows and ditches before he goes out to plant? Does he do all of these things? Yes, he does. Well, why does he do that? Because he, said, he knows that before there can be a crop, before there can be a harvest, before there can be fruit, the soil must be prepared. The soil must be turned over, upside down, in a plow. Or it must be chiseled, it must be broken, it must be made loose to receive the word, to receive the seed. After the plow, it still needs to be broken down more. The chunks of clay, the bigger parts that have held together, these two must be leveled clean. For a farmer knows that he cannot place seed. He cannot get something to grow on a surface after winter that has been left hard and matted and baked, perhaps, by the sun, the spring sun, or matted throughout the the water of a winter, that that clay ground. You can't run a cedar over clay ground. It needs to be broken up. Those low spots, which will collect water to, to rot the seed, those have to be leveled. Those tree trunks and those Those thorn roots need to be plowed up and dissed under. The fallow ground, the ground that has not been touched, that has not been farmed over the winter, it needs to be worked on before there will be any chance of fruit of the seed taking root and growing. And so the plowman will spend much effort first to plow and to level and to prepare his soil. So God, in his providence, in your life and in mine, this past week and this coming week, is busy spending the time necessary to plow, to 
to turn sometimes life upside down, to smash the clumps of pride or of our own self-will, to expose and pull out the roots of covetousness or whatever needs to be done to the soil of our heart. The Bible speaks, you will remember, of fallow ground. Fallow ground is ground that has lied idle for at least one season, perhaps for many seasons, for ten seasons. We have fallow ground in our lives. We have areas in our life, perhaps the whole life, whereby we like to put up signs over our field, do not disturb, do not trespass. Our hearts can get matted down and they need to be broken open, not to destroy us, but that the planted seed might grow and bring forth fruit to God. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 Sow to yourself in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Is there bitterness in our hearts? Are there roots of covetousness in our, in our hearts? Do we have hard ground, clumps, in our hearts towards another, and we will not forgive or forget? Are we matted down with all the pleasures of this world and wanting only our own way in our own things? Or, fellow ground, do you find, beloved, that sometimes, though you seek to walk with the Lord and and pray and, and attend to your spiritual life, yet your heart your heart goes into a period of dullness. You pray, but it has no life. It's very hard for you to form the words. God knows this. And so he breaks up the fallow ground. In his providence, he sends tears, trials, troubles, broken relationships perhaps, heartaches, a business that is failing. Your name is being trodden under foot of men. He sends a multitude of ways to, to break open our heart so that we yearn and need his word. And in this, he's not out to destroy you. He's breaking up the soil of your heart so that that seed that he has planted in your heart may, have, may be able to grow and be enriched in the soil. God works in your life first. The first of his work in your life as a regenerated sinner is to break up the fallow ground, to soften our hearts. He's always out to soften our hearts and to prepare our souls. That's what's happening. Not things without rhyme or reason. He's breaking open our hearts for the word. The farmer knows this about farming because God, verse 26, 
has taught him these things. And he has taught him these things to tell us that he knows as a perfect farmer how to prepare our hearts for his word. And that's through the way of breaking open the heart. A farmer is not a landscaper. He doesn't use his equipment to make a golf course. God is not a landscaper. He doesn't use his providence providence in our lives to make a beautiful golf course. He's not a realtor who purchases large tracts of land so that he may develop his condos and his, his recreation spot. God is not a realtor. He's not a landscaper. God is a farmer. He intends to grow crops, joyful crops in your life and in mine. And he plows up the soil of our heart that we might receive the seed, the word with meekness, that we might receive the word with all of our hearts. But the plowman is not only plowing with the intention to open the soil, but the plowman also shows God's providence in his intentionality in what he's going to plant on that prepared land. It is prepared now. It is ready for the seed. The farmer shows also the wisdom that God has given to him in the selection of his crops and where to put those crops. He does not plant just one seed, but he plants a whole harvest that he's looking for. And he does not plant haphazardly. He doesn't just take various seeds, mix them together, and cast them wherever they might fall. But he carefully understands the soil. And he understands the crop and the soil that each plant needs to prosper. And so we read in verse 25, When he has made plain the face thereof, when he has finished with his leveling and harrowing, Doth he not cast abroad the finches and scatter the cumin and cast the principal wheat and the appointed barley and the rye in their place? The plowman selects different crops, different crops which will need different locations and soils. Here he has selected, he is a grain farmer. He is not a vegetable farmer. He has selected various grains for a full harvest. He begins with the fitches. These are herbs, like cockle. It's like dill or fennel. It's herbs to add flavoring to what he will eat. He'll have a small patch, a smaller patch of that. He will add to that cumin. Cumin is an aromatic herb. It will be used in sauces so that both the taste and the smell of his food will be pleasing to him. Then he comes to the principal wheat. The principal wheat means the main crop, 
This is his cash crop. This is the most important crop, the wheat, because out of the wheat will come forth bread, bread for his soul and for his body. And then he will complete, this farmer will finish it off with rye in their place. And the rye would have been planted around his whole field as a border. They would use rye around their border. They wanted the straw for the animals, but they wanted the rye around the border because it would hold the soil in place. It would not quickly erode and take away his farm. He's doing things as his God has instructed him. He is a farmer. There are differences in God's providence. providence. From child of God to child of God, there is different fruits that he is seeking to produce in us different crops. There's the crop of the fitches and the cumin and the spices. There's the crops. There's the fruits of his work upon us of prayer. When we lift up our voices to him as a sweet aroma to him through Jesus Christ. To prepare for this, he places us in that soil where perhaps he gives us a deep struggle, where perhaps he brings us a sickness, where perhaps he brings us problems in our family. He brings forth prayer and the cumin and the fitches. Or perhaps to have this fruit of prayer, he brings you into a quiet moment where he sidelines you or he puts you in a bed And you say, all I can do is pray. The plowman is planting his herbs. He plants the principal wheat. In the middle of his field, he's concerned about wheat. He's concerned about building us up in the faith that we might have the bread of life, even Jesus Christ. He takes children puts them into a covenant home, into a Christian high school. Children and young people are right in the middle of his field, and he wants them to grow. He wants you to grow through the Word of God. He wants you to be strengthened in the Word of God, that you come to understand the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Or perhaps he puts you in a place of responsibility in his kingdom, You shall serve as the rye around his field. A place of responsibility where others are looking to you for for your steadfastness, that you stand in the battle so that things don't erode and wash away. He makes you an elder. He makes you a teacher. He makes you a first-time father and a first-time mother. God works in your life and in mine according as a plowman according to his own mind to prepare his harvest appointing where we will be and the fruits that we will bring forth to him at different times in our life we say to him 
Why? Why this now? Why does it have to be so hard now? Can we not have some relief? Why am I in this place? And it just goes on and on. This trouble that I have, this seems not as, it seems as if it's never going to be fixed. We must not tell God how to farm. If God has given the plowman wisdom, where to plant, how to harvest, does he not know what he does with us? Does he not know how we will prosper best spiritually? Does he not ordain all things that the word the word will sink deep into our hearts and bring forth the fruits of prayer and trust and obedience and love and humility. Does not he know how to bring forth his crops in you? The plowman is a parable not only in his plowing and planting, but he is a parable in his threshing, for verse 27 goes into threshing. And as I say again, this farmer is a grain farmer. And grain that he has planted, that the plowman has planted, that he's looking for this crop, Of course, if it's going to be harvest, if it's going to be reaped, it has to be threshed. And that means the seed, the kernel, the life has to be separated from the shaft, from the hard exterior, from the shell has to be taken away and leave only the kernel. So Psalm 1, boys and girls, the wicked are like the shaft which the wind blows away. The chaff is what happens to the grain after the external shell is removed and just the kernel of wheat is left. Verse 27 tells us that this farmer has three methods for separating the kernel from the wheat, from the chaff, and that these methods proceed to harder or are different in intensity. Verse 27. The fitches, the little herb seeds, you can hardly see them, the fitches are not threshed with a threshing instrument. They're not threshed with a wheel or with a a grinding stone. Neither is the cart wheel turned upon the little cumin, the end of an iron... uh, a wheel is not dragged over them. But fitches, and we could add cumin, are beaten out with a rod. They are threshed with the farmer having a rod in his hand over a cloth and hitting them, the appropriate blow to separate them. Bread corn or wheat is bruised. A harder impact is necessary. 
because if he will not forever be threshing it, if he comes out with that first method, he'll be there forever. But at the same time, he does not break it with the wheel of his cart, nor bruise it with his horsemen. So there's an added measure. A stone would be rolled over wheat to crush the shaft and not to crush the kernel. But then there was yet a harder seed, which is called here the, the corn, which needs to be bruised with the wheel of his cart. So they would take a cart with iron runners and they would pull this cart, putting the appropriate amount of weight in this sled with the iron runners and pull it over this seed being careful that the horsemen do not, the horse's hooves do not pound it into the ground. In other words, God, the farmer, is very deliberate also in his reaping and in his threshing, in how he goes about separating chaff from the kernel. He's deliberate. He's wise. God is deliberate and wise in crushing the chaff from our life and preserving that precious kernel of faith to the glory of His grace. He's wise in how He removes the chaff of our sin, how He removes a feeling of weakness within us, Sometimes, often, God uses the rod of his word. For the scriptures say in Proverbs 29 that the rod of reproof is the way of life. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God. And that word of God is powerful. And it confronts us in our, in our lives, in our hidden sins, and it convicts us of our sins as we come to God in prayer. That rod comes to us also in the preaching of the word. I was going to say also in the preaching of the word comes much encouragement, but the rod also comes convicting us in our hearts of our sins, separating us from that sin. The reproofs of a father and mother are the rod of God. The corrections, the loving corrections of a mother that come to the heart when God's Spirit is in us and break us, the brotherly admonitions and so on. But then, at times, God comes to even greater measures. He sends afflictions, setbacks, hard things, very hard things. Because he will separate the chaff of our own self-love and our own self-will. And he will refine us to trust in him and in him only. And then God, the perfect farmer, the perfect husbandman, whose eye is always upon that kernel of faith in us in Jesus Christ, he will send us in his will 
and in his wisdom, staggering burdens. That we would say, never send that to me, Lord. I could not. Burdens under which we will feel crushed. And the devil, the giant despair, will lock us down into hopelessness and cast us down. And emotionally and physically and spiritually, we will be at the end. And we'll believe that God has forsaken me. But his purpose is to take away the shaft, to keep alive the kernel of faith. His purpose is to bring us to hope, true hope, obedience, and the confession that glorifies him. God's grace is sufficient for me and never will he crush the verse says he will not break it. He won't allow the horses to trample it down. He will employ the means that he knows is necessary in your life tonight. He will refine you. He's going to do that. But he will never crush you. And he says to you, the threshing is not going to endure forever. There's a time for it. There's a necessary time, but it will not endure forever. Joy will yet come again to you, and he will do this because the plowman loves his crops. When he threshes them and reaps them, it's not because he hates them. He's not hitting them because he hates the seed. He's not raging war with his crops. He loves his harvest. He loves the fruit of his fields. This is everything to him to bring forth fruit in his fields. And God has given him discretion and knowledge as to how to gather these crops. He doesn't do it because he hates the seed. He loves the seed. Does not your heavenly Father love you perfectly? And does not he know how to prepare you and thresh you, and bring you, and refine you, and purify you? Shall we say to him, what doest thou? The plowman treats his crop because he's going to gather it as his treasure. So God will gather us. The grain must be threshed to reach his purpose. And God will reach his purpose. He will bring to us a new and a living obedience and submission. He will bring to us holiness. He will bring to us that we cry out and trust him though he slay us, he will bring us closer to himself. He will bring us peaceable fruit. He will bring us joy in him. He will bring us contentment. He will bring us to say, I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me, he will bring us to the harvest. This is the plowman's goal. In Michigan, the plowman will look for the first possible day in April or even March, cold and maybe even raining, that he can get in his field and open up the soil. In May, you'll look for the first opportunity he can find to plant the seed. You'll spend the whole summer cultivating, irrigating, keeping this, all with the purpose that he's looking for a harvest. He's doing this for a harvest. And that harvest is the day of joy. For Israel, harvest day was joy day. You know that from the book of Ruth and Boaz and Ruth and the celebration they had when all the sheaves were gathered in, the harvest was gathered, the joy was there. And so we read, Psalm 126, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, rejoicing, bringing the sheaves with him. The life of Christ planted in you, that God is growing through his providence and through trials and struggles and through his love and mercy. It's not going to perish. He's going to come someday, bearing you as his sheave in great rejoicing in the day of Jesus Christ. And he's going to bring you into his presence in fullness of joy. The Bible says that there is a day coming in which God will put his sickle into the earth and he will harvest. He will harvest those whose hearts mock him. Those who love evil, those whose ground is hard and has produced only thistles and weeds, it will be a frightening harvest. It will be a consumption, a burning, a destroying. But he will reach forth his sickle to those of his crop, his field, lowly and humble, trusting and loving. And he will bring you with joy to his presence. When harvest time appears, we shall be glad indeed. For they that in the sowing reap, weep, shall yet in joy and gladness reap. Listen to the parable of the plowman. As you ride on 48th or the country roads or on Bower, and you're riding to your work and your mind is full, think about the plowman. Think about God's providence controlling last week and this week and every week plowing, sowing, threshing, reaping, bringing forth fruit, fruit for God's courts. Learn the parable of the plowman. Don't expect God to leave your land alone, 
to leave it fellow. Don't think that somehow things ought to go the way you think they should be. He will not leave you alone. He loves you, and he will. He will obtain your good, your glory, your holiness. To do it in his wisdom, he may place a baby in your arms, or he may take a baby into heaven. He may give your heart peace, or he may give your heart battle. Don't dictate to God what means he must employ to thresh his crop. Don't dictate to him. Trust him. Remember, remember, however he will lead you, he will never crush you. He will strengthen you. His object is not your destruction. His object is your separation from your own sin and your own self-reliance, but that you may come to him and trust him and know him and the joy of Jesus. Leave to God, the plowman, to determine how his providence will work on you. The way of peace is bound up for you and for me in our surrender and love to his sovereign will and to confess everything is of him and through him and to him and to him be glory forever and ever. Don't say my life is a mess. Don't say that. Say this. No matter what happens. This cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. Amen. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, that as the creator of the wonders about us in the springtime, that thou hast created each one of these things to be a lesson in grace, a lesson in our lives. That thou art the God of condescension. And when we cannot understand thy ways, then, O oh Lord, thou hast created something in the creation to show us thy ways, their wisdom and necessity. So be with us in this week as thy dear children and keep our hearts close to thine. In Jesus' name, amen.